Hey fam, welcome to the You Can Sit With Us podcast. My name is Lexi B and I am your host and executive producer. Let's get into it. Charles Hudson is the managing partner and founder of Precursor Ventures, an early-stage venture capital firm focused on investing in the first institutional round of investment for the most promising software and hardware companies. He invests in people over product at the earliest stage of their entrepreneurial journey. Under his leadership, Precursor Ventures has raised four funds and has over $175 million under management. He has invested in more than 375 companies and has supported more than 400 founders, including the teams behind ClearCo, Juniper Square, The Athletic, sold to the New York Times for $525 million in 2022, Incredible Health, Carrot, and Pear Eyewear. Charles is an active member of the VC community. Charles is the 2023-2024 chair of the NVCA Board of Directors, is a board member at Venture Forward, and is on the investment committee for Screen Door, and recently joined Path Ahead Ventures Advisory Board. He is also an advisor and mentor to a number of emerging managers. Welcome, Charles Hudson. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into it, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Do you remember how we met? Because I do. I don't remember all the specifics. I'm embarrassed to say. I'm going to tell you. This is a long time ago. I'm not going to date myself and I won't date yourself. But I was maybe six to eight months out of college. I don't know how we got connected. I think someone in the Stanford network. And we went to this coffee shop in Mountain View on Castro Street. Red Rock. Yes, that has the best apple cider mm-hmm. in the fall. And I haven't been in years, so hopefully they survive the pandemic. And I remember we were walking around Castro Street and you were like, you look stressed. What is going on? And I just started crying in the middle of Castro Street. And I was like, I just don't know how to adult. And like, someone needs to tell me, Charles, and I'm about to lose my job. And like, what do I do? <laughs> and I distinctly forgot all of the advice you gave me, but the one that stuck um, was you will be okay. Yeah. And that's how we met. And I I, I want to thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. Because I needed someone to tell me <laughs> that I was going to be okay. Because Charles- I remember I remember how I felt. I was like, wow, she's really going through it right now. <laughs> I remember I was like, oh, my heart is like hurt for her right now. It's like, oh my God. So decade and a half later- mm-hmm. um, it all worked out. Yep. And part of that is because you just drank apple cider with me and told me that I would be okay. <laughs> it's the little things, Charles. It's the little things. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. So with that said, as we have this conversation, what is in your coffee cup? What are you drinking with me today? I have a little bit. I have a tiny bit of Americano left. Not much okay. from this morning. Okay. I'm, I'm one coffee behind where I normally am at this time. Uh you are one coffee behind. How many coffees do you drink? Uh, you know, in a normal day, three to four. Three to four. Charles. It's a lot, I know. It's a lot, <laughs> I know. It's a bad habit. 
Coffee is a, it's a comfort. It's a comfort beverage for me. Hey, is look, mm-hmm. as long as you're working out, that's right. as long as you know your doctor says it's okay, I'm here for it, yep. okay? This is a no judgment. It doesn't impact my sleep, so I'm, I'm pretty, I have some friends who are very sensitive to caffeine. I am not one of those people. My husband's very sensitive to caffeine. Like he can't, he'll, he'll drink a cup of coffee and he can't sleep for two days. <sighs> wow. That clearly is not you. That is not <laughs> That is not me. <laughs> awesome. And where are your people from? Where where are your people from? Where are you calling in from? And how did all that shape who you are today as a human? It's such a good question. I mean, it's crazy. I've been in the Bay Area now for 26 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I moved here for college. So I'm from Michigan. My parents are in Michigan. My in-laws are in Michigan. They live about 30 minutes away from each other. Did you and your wife meet in Michigan or this is like a happenstance on the second date you figured this out? No, what's even crazier is like we are the same age and we went to high school about a mile apart. Seriously? I literally, I'd never seen her before. Like she went to an all girls school. I went to a very nerdy uh, liberal arts, like college prep school. And like, I just had never met her. I didn't actually, I met her in San Francisco. And this just came out while dating, like, oh, yeah, we're neighbors. Well, it turns out that, like, a lot of her friends from college are, like, uh, guys yeah. I grew up with. Yeah, makes sense. And my son's godfather is my cousin's, the best man at my cousin's wedding, who is also my wife's best guy friend from college. So basically, y'all, divine timing. When it comes to dating, your spouse could literally be down the street. You never know. know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how any of these things work. But that's that's how it worked out for us, and it was yeah, it was it's pretty funny. Mm. So your parents are from Michigan. Yeah, you came out to the Bay. Yeah, do you know where your parents are from? Um, before Michigan. So my uh, my grandfather is from Mississippi. By a huge chunk of my grandfather's family is from Mississippi. Okay, I've been back there and visited them a few times. Mississippi's uh, there's a lot of that. Mississippi to Detroit pipeline is very strong. Yes, yes. Uh, And then I've got. A chunk of my family actually uh, across the bay in Oakland. Okay. Yep, over okay. in Deep East. So they're over there. I see them from time to time. But yeah, mm-hmm. like it's basically Mississippi, Detroit, and here. And how has that affected you as a human now? I think, or is it, or has it affected you, good or bad? You know, everybody else from my family when I was growing, like nobody really left Michigan. Mm. Like I grew up down the street from my like my cousins were maybe a ten minute bike ride from my house. So I like kind of grew up with them as if they were like my brothers and sisters. So my mom's sister was whatever, 10 minutes away on a bike ride. Um, My grandfather and grandmother lived in the city of Detroit, but they were only 35 minutes away. So I saw them all the time. And I guess the weird thing is that like, it just never occurred to me that I would ever leave Michigan. Mm. Cause like no one in my family did it. They went to Michigan state and then you moved back. Kind of the greater Detroit area. Maybe if you were really adventurous, you went to Chicago. Mm. But like our generation was the first generation of kids that kind of left and went somewhere else. And it really was just kind of me. <laughs> like my cousins, <laughs> my cousins are most for the most part back in Michigan. I have one who moved to Florida and then moved, but ended up moving back to, to Ohio. So she's close by. And so my sister and I are here in the Bay Area. Um, but most of the rest of my family is still in Michigan. And there's a little a little pocket down in Florida. Is that scary? You know, I think I didn't think it was scary. I was like, 
I wanted to go to Stanford. I'm like, this seems like it'd be interesting. Also, when I, I came, I didn't think I would stay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to California to go to college. Right. I'll be back. I'll, I'll be back. Leave. I'm going to come back to Chicago. Probably not Michigan, but like I'll come back to Chicago, maybe New York, but I will definitely be like east of the Rockies when this is all said and done. And then I got, I got here and like, I was like, California is so different than Michigan. Culturally, the people, like everything about it, I was like, this is so different, but I kind of like it. All I knew was Michigan. I was like, I know Michigan. That's where I'm from. <clears throat> I know what it's like to grow up in the suburbs of Detroit. And like, I understand that vibe, but that was like the only thing I knew. And I didn't really know what anything else was. That's wild. So this, that's wild. And so I, you know, I, my parents were like, you're really not going to come back, are you? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not. <laughs> You had to have that hard conversation too. <laughs> I think they kind of figured it out pretty soon. They're like, doesn't feel like you're coming back mm. anytime soon. He ain't coming back. <laughs> nope. He ain't. We gonna see him on holidays and birthdays. He ain't coming back. Pretty much. <laughs> so you are considered, <clears throat> I don't even want to use the word consider. Let, let's put some respect on your name. You are very well known in the Silicon Valley, in the venture capitalist space, um, you know, in in the black community, you are the Beyonce of venture capital, whether or not you will admit it, but like you are. And so what I want to talk to you about you today is about venture capital and what is it actually? I think that right now we're in a space where a lot of people, we say the word, it's kind of like AI, right? But people actually don't know what this thing is. So my first question to you is that if you had to define what is VC, what is venture capital? How would you respond? I think I would tell people it's a sub branch of finance okay. where the goal is to find incredibly high growth companies and give them capital to fund their growth with the idea that the company that ends up being created is large and impactful and probably wouldn't have been able to achieve that without the funds you provided. So let's break this down. When we look at the world, when we look at capitalism at large, and we look at, you know, maybe the Fortune 500 companies, if you had to guesstimate how many of those companies or what percentage of those companies started because of some type of venture capital, which basically is money that is not in your bank account, That's but right. you started the company. Yeah. It's not your grandfather's, you know, $10,000 from the will. It's this outside entity or person who writes you a check and says, I believe in this thing. I think at one point I saw something like it was like 25 or 30 percent. Wow. Of it was significant. If you think about it, most people don't have the means to bootstrap a company from scratch and particularly once it starts to grow. Yeah. Because oftentimes when you're growing, like your expenses grow faster than your revenue. But it, in a perfect world, it eventually does catch up. So my guess is like a lot of the you know, and technology companies have become a much bigger chunk of the Fortune 500. So mm. my hunch is that it's a significant. I've seen a number before, which I should know off the top of my head. My guess is it's it's probably 20 to 30 percent. So when you as a VC are, I'm sure a lot of people pitch to you every day like Charles, come, you know, back my boba machine. Right. Like Charles, I'm going to make the new matchbox Come, you know, competitor of the world. Um, I imagine you at a restaurant with your wife and somebody's like, yo, I got this really cool idea for a new Pepsi, right? Yep. My question to you is, and by the way, folks, do not do that. If you it, happens. it happens. <laughs> well, I can imagine that it does. <laughs> it's like, you look like that one guy on that one poster. I got this one idea and I'm definitely selling records in the back of my car, but like we can make this work, fam, right? I could definitely see it. What are you looking for 
what are you looking for when you're like, yo, this is actually an idea that we should explore? We have 1,500 people a year that I meet in some way, shape, or form, either on email or on Zoom or in person, to hear about their ideas. That's out of probably 3,000, 3,500 that like ping me about. And sometimes it's like, I got a record deal or I got a land deal. I'm like, I don't do those. So <laughs> I was joking about the records in the back of the car, but like, this is real. <laughs> yeah, that's closer than you think. <laughs> it's closer. No, I, um, I think there's three ingredients uh, that I, I'm looking for. One is the person. And this is, so first of all, like, let's just be super clear. Venture capital investing is a very subjective business. Mm. I'm investing mostly in things that don't yet exist. So it's not like I can say, oh, show me the thing you've built. They're like, that's where you come in. You and your money are going <laughs> to enable me to build this thing. So mostly when I meet people, they have an idea. Maybe they've like sketched, they have an idea plus like some thinking around that idea. And they're pitching me on that package. So for me, the most important thing is like, what level of confidence do I have in this individual and his or her ability to actually turn the thing that they told me into reality? And that's a mix of like, how good of a founder do I think they are? How much experience do they have in this domain? How much thinking have they done around this problem? What do I know from previous investments about the difficulty or ease of navigating the market that they've chosen to play in. There's just a ton of questions I have to ask myself. But a lot of it comes down to, at the end of the day, once I give people money, I actually don't have very much control. I have influence. Tell me more. Yeah. So, wow. So once you write the first check, once I write, once I give people money, you're like, this is not, not on me. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, yeah. they're not going to call me every time they make a decision. They're going to take the money and they're going to go do what they think is the most important, highest likelihood thing that will produce a big company. And so when I first got into venture, I'm like, oh, I'm going to give these people this money, but then I'm going to tell them what to do. My friend was like, that's not really how it works. The, the founders will <laughs> take the money and they will go do the things that they think will create value. So like when I'm talking to people, one of the big things is like, do we have a shared view on like what activities are likely to create value for this company? And do we have mm -hmm. a shared vision of like when the company is successful, what is the, what, what size and scale company can be built given what the person tells me they want to build. And so in 30 minutes or less, I'm usually trying to figure out, do I trust this person with 250 to $500,000? And remember, the money I'm investing is like, some of it's mine, but a lot of it is people who've given it to me and entrusted me with that money because they think I have good judgment. So every time I say yes to a founder, I'm basically saying the people who trusted me with their money have asked me to use my judgment to pick good companies. And I think you're one of them. And it's a lot of responsibility because not every startup that we fund works out. So what happens when it doesn't work out? How is that conversation with the people that entrusted you with the money? Um, well, it's it's easier when it works out, for sure. You can imagine. <laughs> Charles said, we're, we're just going to make sure, sure it works out, Lexi. So that's <laughs> clear, Lexi. The goal is for it to work out. But um, yes, no. right. <laughs> what I tell our investors is, and this is like, I think, the cruel math of venture capital. If you invest in 100 companies... Typically, half of them are going to return little to no money. They're going to shut down. You're going to get, you're going to lose all of your money. Another chunk, okay. call it 20%, you'll get your money back or mostly your money back. And then there's a very small sliver, 5 to 10%, where you'll get a meaningful multiple on your capital. And then oftentimes there'll be 1% that will generate huge returns. So we are very much in the business of finding outlier companies, companies that can end up being worth yeah. hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. 
And along the way, we're going to have many companies where despite our hard work and estimation, they fall short of that. So when it doesn't work out, actually, the harder conversation isn't with my investors. They know, hey, you're going to invest in 100 companies per fund. So long as you find one or two that work, in the aggregate, the fund will be fine. But an individual has one company. Mm. And when that one individual has problems with their one company, that's like a really personal thing. It's really, it's their baby. baby. And like oftentimes, you know, I've had two founders who put seven and eight years respectively into the companies they're building and they shut them down. And the guy's like- That's emotional. It's emotional. And he's like, I spent seven or eight years working on this thing only to have it basically amount to zero financially. I'm like, well, look, you learned a lot. You made a lot of progress. You're a better founder for it. But yeah, I'm sure it's difficult to look back on a significant, almost a decade of work and say like, I don't have anything financially to show for it. Tell me about working with the founder that literally is about to do this company. We have, you know, negative zero employees and they're begging you for some coinage. Yep. Versus working with that same person in a year and a half, and now they have 10 to 12 employees, they have like responsibilities in the house, mm-hmm. and they're scaling. Is it a different vibe? Is it a different relationship? Are there different concerns for you? What does that look like? I tease them a lot about how fast they grow up. You know, a lot of the founders, and I mean it in like the truest sense growing up, because a lot of people that we back have never run a company before. It's not like they're children or anything. They're just, they're inexperienced in... Um, Raising money, running a company, hiring and firing people, setting strategy. Like I have this laundry list of things that I go through and every time I meet a founder, I'm like, do I think they can hire? Do I think they'll fire when they need to? Do I think they can set strategy? Do I think they'll be responsible with our capital? There's a laundry list of things that, and usually 12 to 18 months later, they're just literally significantly better at their job. And I'm always like, wow. Oh, you still remember a year ago what we were stuck on? They're like, oh yeah, that was like, that was pretty basic, huh? I was like, "It's, it's where you were. It's like, I don't say it with judgment. I say it more like, look how far you've come. Mm. And and I have that conversation with a lot of founders. Yeah. Like, wow, just like look at, and they're like, you remember I used to bring you these problems? The, the, the big one for me is, is talent talent management. Every now and then people you know, they agonize over a hire, agonize over letting someone go. And then a year later, it's just like a thing they do. So I don't know. I really, that's probably the thing I enjoy most about my job is like these companies are just a vehicle for these people's personal and professional development. And I think it's super cool. How do you work with the board? I don't even know the answer to this question, folks. I'm, I'm just wondering. So you, so you give, you know, we give said founder the coins of like, here's your check to go do something. Please don't lose it and be responsible, right? Yep. They start growing in some capacity. Then obviously they, they, they need a board of directors, are you somehow in that? Is this like a triangle or is it like you call me when you need me? What does that look like? It's a fantastic question. We have a model that works for us that's different than other people. Okay. So we're investing in, you know, a, a good board will do two things. It will keep you from doing things that you shouldn't do. It'll be a check or a balance. And they should also push you to see things that you don't see. Mm. Most of the companies that we invest in, they're so early and they have so little money. The the role of a board is limited. And frankly, I can accomplish what you need to do in a board meeting just by meeting with a person once a month. So that's what I end up doing is just meeting with people kind of once a month and just checking in and getting a sense for how they're doing and pushing them to see things that I think they don't see. And also sometimes providing them encouragement for the things that are going well. But I think a lot of founders are afraid of boards because the job of the board is to evaluate the performance of the CEO. Like that is the job. Yeah. And if you're the CEO, evaluate 
the performance of the CEO is a lot of words to say, fire the CEO when the person's no longer doing a good job. And nobody looks forward to that day. Yeah. But I tell people, good boards can make you a better leader, can make you a better CEO, can help you see things, can provide you leverage, can be a good signing board. There's a lot of good things that can come from being a, a board, from having a board and, and engaging with them. But not everybody wants that. And a lot of people, I think, are rightly, you know, they read these stories. Ah, like, oh, this person got kicked out of their company by their board. I don't want that to happen. So the solution for me is to like not have a board. I'm like, that's a solution. Another solution is like just continue to run the company well and like you'll probably get your job. That's an alternative solution. In my Charles Hudson voice, that yes. that is a solution. I don't know if I recommend it, but that is mm-hmm. technically an idea. <laughs> have you ever because when you, you know, I did a lot of research on you, friend, online before this conversation, and it's very clear that you really do invest in people. Mm-hmm over product, I would argue. Have you ever invested in something where you really believed in the person, even though you thought the product was whack? I have. (laughs) How did that turn out? Not (laughs) well, in most cases. Okay. And and here's, it's interesting. The number one thing I get from my investors is, well, why don't you just pick the people? And I was like, well, because sometimes good people um, pick bad ideas. Mm. And Listen, if you raise $5 million, I actually don't care that much about the idea. So this is like the weird paradox. The more money you raise, the less fixated I am on the idea because you money equals time. So you have time to find a better idea. And most smart, good founders will not stick with a bad idea for too long. However, if you only raise a million dollars, which is mostly the business that we're in, a million dollars like for a small team will last you 12 or 18 months. If you pick the wrong idea or you choose, you might not have enough time to discover. And I, this is a lesson, you know, almost all the lessons I've learned as a VC have come because I lost money. <laughs> mm. Like that is the greatest teacher in this business is like getting things right teaches you something, but I'm not sure it teaches you good things. L- losing money tends to reinforce things you could do better. And so early on, I, I decided we're not going to invest purely in people. Hmm. The person has to be in the right zip code of an idea. Okay. And ironically, I passed on some companies in the early days of Precursor that I deeply regret passing on because I didn't like the idea that much. But the truth was it was above the line for suitability and it was close enough to a good idea. The people ended up finding amazing. But I'm like, that idea was good enough. It was a good enough starting point. So the people found their way at some point. It just wasn't 100% nailed down at the initial conversation. There's just something in me that feels uncomfortable about saying, I think this person is smart. Mm. I think they're going to be successful, but they've chosen an idea that I think is horrendous and I'm going to give them money anyway. It's like cognitively a weird, I'm also just like, or I could just, a lot of times what ends up happening is I just tell them, this isn't a good idea. I want to work with you, but not on this one. Mm. One of the founders that for whom I have great admiration is uh, Reggie from Eternal. And I told him no the first time I met him. I was like, I literally told him, like, I want to work with you, but this one isn't the one. Mm. It's a hard thing to tell a founder who's already decided to work on something that, like, the main reason I'm not giving you money is I don't think the idea that you've chosen is a good one. Uh, That's not an easy thing to tell somebody. Devil's advocate would be, I'd rather you tell me that and say I want to work with you, Lexi, then you say like, well, this was wonderful. Um, call me, but don't. <laughs> Be blessed. Right. <laughs> right? Like, that, I mean, like, it's not. And look, not every founder wants to hear 
what I think about their idea. Some people are just like, tell me if you're investing yes or no, if you don't like my, also the truth is like, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. But a lot of times I'll tell people, here's why I think this is going to be super hard. And like, if you can find your way through this gauntlet, good for you. If you realize that it's as hard as I think it's going to be and you want to do something else, the door is open for you to come back with a new idea. Not this idea in its same state with the same problem. Don't bring me that again. But you can come back with a new idea. And that has actually worked out reasonably well. So what about phenomenal ideas with not so phenomenal people? So you can probably tell from the tone of my voice, these are the hardest ones. (laughs) <laughs> it's so hard right like what if what if someone like presents you gold like what if you're like yo this is it and then you meet the person and you're like but you aren't it i think it's very hard in this business to know who's going to be good and this is what i tell my you know I, I think i almost gave one of my investors a heart attack he's like how do you know who's good i was like i don't nobody knows and he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, well, nobody knows if the person's never done it. We literally don't know if they're going to be a good CEO. Now, when I say I don't know, it doesn't mean I don't have a framework. It doesn't mean I don't do work, but I actually don't know. And I'm picking people who I believe will rise to the occasion, but I, I simply don't know. I find out a lot in the first six months. And what I've learned is that like the temptation when you really like the idea, but you don't think the person is up to the task for whatever reason you judge them to be unworthy of the the task, you, I'm not going to run the business. They are. That's true. You're not there day to day. Yeah. I'm not there today. I'm not the CEO. I'm not there. And oftentimes if it's a good idea, what I tell myself is I like this idea and I'm going to put a little pin in this idea because it's such a good one. And I bet if I keep my eyes open, I will find a better, stronger team going after something simple and adjacent. And almost every time I've like really said, I have serious reservations about this person, but this idea is so good, we're just going to do it. The people don't get out of their own way, or as predicted, a much better team shows up. And then you're like, great. I had everything right except for the people. And it turns out the people are like the thing. So what did, what did we just do? We should have just, it's hard in this business sometimes to be patient. And see something like, this is a good idea, but these aren't the right people. Or this is a good idea, but it's really like not the right time. And to just like sit still. So hard. So how are these deals actually created in in my head? And it's funny because, you know, I worked in tech my whole career and I've actually never been in a room watching the venture capitalist deal happen. I'm always the person who gets the call that's like, we got the money, right? But in my head, it's like the social network movie where the guy who plays Mark Zuckerberg goes to a club and meets the Justin Timberlake guy and then half drunk, they're like, I'm gonna give you $3 million. I hope this is not how it goes, but you know, capitalism in America. How does this actually, how does this play out? (laughs) I think it's a lot less glamorous than that in most cases. In many cases, like people pitch me, I'm like, this is a really good idea. Then the question's like, okay. I mean, the other thing that's important to keep in mind is that business, venture capital is a weird business. Mm. Like my job is to convince people to take my money. Everyone's like, oh, like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, the things you want to invest in, I have to sell them on why they should take my money. And um, d- different people make that decision for different reasons. Makes sense. Sometimes they just really want to work with you. Sometimes it's a brand of your firm. Sometimes they just really need the money. So I'm always trying to figure out what what is going to motivate this person to take my money. And sometimes I'm like, maybe if I offer them a higher price, they'll be more incentivized. But typically what happens is I'll have one, maybe two meetings with people. 
I'll figure out, okay, I want to do this one. And then usually I'll have some sense for like, what do I think are fair terms and how much money do I want to invest? And then I'll make an offer. Sometimes people are just like, your offer sounds great. We'll take it. In other cases, there's some negotiation. In other cases, people are like, my expectations are like way far away from what you offered. And I'm like, okay, then we're probably not going to work together. But it's it's not a lot of like, especially the stage where I invest, like, there's nothing to really argue about. Like the companies don't exist. So in most cases, it's actually like pretty pleasant. I call the founder up or send him a text or an email. I'm like, I really like what you're doing. I'd love to be a part of the company. Here's what I was thinking. How does that sound to you? And my goal is like not to lowball people or start at some unreasonable position and like grind them back. So like, this is what I think, this is the, these are the terms under which I would invest in your company. Yeah. How do these strike you? And sometimes people are like, I got people who are going to give me the same amount of money, but on better terms. And I'm like, God bless you. Like, just take it then. But so it's important to remember, like, I can't, it's very hard to undo these relationships. Yeah. Like there's no, there's not really a market for these. You know, if I went and bought some shares of Google and then I got annoyed with Google, I could just go sell those shares of stock. Okay. With private companies, like nobody would know if I sold my little two or three shares. The problem with private companies is like once you invest as an investor, you're pretty much in that company yeah. until it sells or shuts down. Yes, you can sell. It's just not easy. It's really not easy to do so. So you end up stuck in this world where like when I invest, I'm like, I'm going to be working with this team and this person mm. forever till they figure it out. And the same is true for the founder. Mm. So sometimes they'll tell people like, if you're going to take that other person's money, just understand you're buying into a seven to 10 year relationship with that person. I hope that like you've done your diligence and you have a point of view about why this person would be great. We got to be together. You are definitely going to stay together. So y'all are family at this point. Like we got to, we got to be together. (laughs) We got to be together. How does an acquisition, the buying of a company, how does that impact the venture capitalist? Would you, would, is that something that you would want to? Like, is it like, I hope this company gets bought? Is it depend on the situation or is it better for you as a venture capitalist for the company to go public and to thrive and become this huge conglomerate? Like what, what, what does that look like for you? Typically going public yields the biggest return. That is the dream that we start off with every time we write a check. It does not always come true, but that is the dream. Yes. I always try to ask myself, can we build an IPO scale company? And to me, I mean, just to give people some sense, like for me, mm-hmm. that means, do I think we can get to $100 million in annual revenue with reasonably good gross margins? Okay. And when we get to 100, there will be more to come. And so I'm like, if we can do that in a software business, like we're in pretty good shape. Typically, if you get to those 100 to 200 million ARR, you're an IPO candidate. Someone else might come by you. But my view is like, I want to invest in companies that I think can become IPO candidates. And if they get bought along the way, you know, we, we were the first investors in The Athletic and the New York Times came along and bought it and they paid a good price. I candidly wish they had paid a higher price, would have made me happier. But it was a great outcome for us as early investors. I'm thrilled for Alex and Adam. They're like two amazing founders. And that was a big deal for our fund. It, it made a significant impact on us returning uh, a good chunk of our first fund. So I don't know, the trick, you know, and in this environment, we have a lot of companies that are doing small acquisitions. 
And in some cases, like the return to precursor is small, but the founder is going to make money that's going to change his or her life. We're 100% supportive of those. I want to shift the conversation a little bit because we have been talking about your relationship to founders and how these companies work with venture capital. I now want to talk to you about how people actually get into venture capital. I think venture capital is this is this black hole um, that people mm-hmm. are like, venture capital, that sounds sexy. And, but no one really knows how to get in. We hear these stories of, you know, people like you and other very prominent venture capitalists, you know, I imagine them in their offices, like behind Stanford University, like cackling at computers. And you know them because they're like, yeah, that's the venture capitalist that helped PayPal. And that's the venture capitalist that got YouTube together. But as an individual and as career growth is concerned, how does one, how does an 18 year old become a venture capitalist if that's what they would like to do? You know, it's a good question. I think I've been doing this for a long time. When I got into venture capital, nobody ever posted jobs. There were like, I'd like there were exactly zero jobs available in venture. But almost every firm was hiring if they found the right person. And so I was like, well, this seems like a weird setup. This means that like people who don't have access are never going to find out about these jobs. And Every every role we've hired here on the investing team at Precursor, we have publicly posted it. And every single person I've hired, with one exception soon, has been someone I did not know before, who just like went through the application process and like came out on top. The venture business is very slow to change its norms. In the beginning, this was a business where you only gave money to people that you knew and trusted, and you only hired people that you knew and trusted. And trust is a proxyable thing. You could trust them because they went to the same business school as you. They could trust you because they were part of the same country club. You could trust them because they lived down the street from you. You could trust them because you worked together at some startup. And I think we're moving to a world that's more open. We're not as far along, frankly, as I'd like us to be on this journey. But I would say at 18, it's tough to be a venture capitalist because you need two things. You need some money, either your own or someone else's, and you need some founders who will take your money. And so if you're an 18-year-old who has access to hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that you can afford to invest in startup companies, the thing I'm about to say doesn't apply to you, but most people don't have that. Um, I would say it's more reasonable for most people to think about getting into venture after college. And the good news is a lot of venture firms now have programs where they'll hire a handful of people as new college grads and a handful of MBA graduates. But my guess is... There's probably five or 6,000 active venture capital firms in the country. My guess is collectively, they hire fewer people than Goldman Sachs in a year. Like the analyst class at Goldman Sachs is probably bigger than all of the junior VC hiring done in venture. That makes sense to me. I mean, to be frank with you, I th- the fact that we have five or 6,000 VCs is wild to me. I thought it'd be much smaller, mm-hmm. but I could see that. Yeah. Y'all keep it tight. <laughs> Y'all keep it cute and you keep it tight. But this industry could be a lot. I mean, we... I'm just really glad that at least people are re-examining some of the business practices and just saying like, who's not, who's like not winning with this set of circumstances? Like who's being negatively impacted by doing things this way? I would argue that, and I don't have any data on this, but I would argue that the more that these prehistoric practices, right? The old, the old man's game, you know, the golf course practices, evolve if the more that we evolve out of that especially in venture capital i think that we'd also see some very interesting new developments 
in the startup world from people that we may not have seen 20 years ago. That's my belief. I'll say one other thing that I don't think most of my peers agree with. I think there's this notion that like the way you learn venture capital is by like studying under like a master or like a genius. What is this Hogwarts? That is sort of the like lore of, I studied at the knee of so-and-so. I've been doing the job a long time. I think some people are just good at it and some people aren't. And so I think at the margin, education and experience and mentorship is important. But the most important thing is to figure out very quickly if you have a good, if you're a good judge of people and you're a good judge of markets. So I'm just sort of like, yeah, you could mentor, but you should also just like find out, like give people money and let them invest. And if they're good, give them more money and then give them more mentorship and education and fill in the gaps. And if they're not good, like don't give them any money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do. people got to pay bills, Charles. Like, don't be giving my money out to people that you know where it's not going to work. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's such a, this is like my, this is probably the most important, single most important thing I've learned in my entire career as a venture capitalist. When you say that the gap is very, very different. So what kind of qualities is this like, you know, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Viola Davis founder showing that other founders aren't because what I think we're talking about possibly maybe is work ethic or just extra stuff they're doing that maybe other people are not. It's actually velocity and it's not speed because like if you're going really fast in the wrong direction, it's not useful. And so we talk a lot about product velocity, which is how quickly are you turning investor dollars into shippable product that people actually want? That's the thing that totally sets apart the best founders that we work with and everybody else. And I usually can see it within six months. I kind of know which bucket somebody's in because most of the companies we're investing in had no money before. Now they have some money. Some money should make you do, should allow you to do things you couldn't do before. And in, in six months is enough time for that to start to kick in. They just do everything faster. They make decisions faster. They ship product faster. And there's one other thing. They're very good at working on the things that actually matter. There's a lot of things you can work on at a startup that are like a distraction. Oh, I'm going to redo our website. I'm like, is that, uh, you could do that. But like, is that the most important, highest and best use of your time? The best founders you work with, they have a really good intuition for like what actually matters. Like what's the thing I should absolutely focus on and work on? Mm. There's a lot of other things that are important, but like they are not critical. And the best founders are just good at like sniffing out the critical things. So as we close, I want to thank you. For this conversation. I want to thank you for responding to my email <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm like, Charles Hudson, save me. Um, and what is what is on your horizon for you, for your firm? Um, where can we follow and how can we support? Um, I feel like my every day is kind of the same. I get up and hope I'm going to meet the next great founder and I hope I can make myself available to support the ones who've already backed. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing this, working on Precursor for okay. almost 10 years at this point. Um, it still feels like I have a lot of things to figure out and do. Yeah. But I mean, we're we're pretty easy to find on LinkedIn or on X or, you know, whatever. Wherever it's, we're Precursor VC just about everywhere. And um, if you've got an idea or you want some feedback, just reach out. Well, y'all heard it, heard it first from the guru himself. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining our table today. Remember to follow me on LinkedIn at LexiB and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the hot tea on updates, upcoming guests, and more. Stay honest, stay curious, and above all, stay authentic. Much love, fam.
Much love.